across America talking about behind closed doors. Well, they have something to say. I make sure it gets said. I'm Noor Goda, and I believe real talk gets us the real solutions. Join me on Between Arabs, where I come to talk taboo with and about Arabs and Muslims in America. Assalamu alaikum, marhaba, and welcome back to the Between Arabs podcast. I'm Noor Goda, your voice of candor on the social issues affecting Arabs and Muslims in the West. This is episode 23, Are Arabs Racist? I know what a lot of you are thinking. Uh, duh, of course they are. And then others, most likely Arabs, are thinking, how dare you ask such a question? I recently came across a very disturbing article and incident that took place out in the Emirates, and it sparked one of the... Uh, greatest passions of mine or the, one of my greatest frustrations as uh, an Arab, as a Muslim, as just a human being in this world, which is the issue of racism and the fact that it exists. And if you're somebody who hasn't gotten to a place where you feel you can acknowledge the fact that racism exists within the Muslim ummah globally, then there really needs to be some critical reflection on your part because there is absolutely no question whatsoever that racism does exist across the Muslim ummah across the globe. Now, when I'm talking about the Muslim ummah, I'm not singling out this particular population just for the heck of it. Obviously, this podcast is focused on our particular population. That's why I'm bringing to light or bringing into question uh, the issue of racism racism as it pertains to Muslims across the globe. But really, racism is a worldwide disease that plagues every single society on the planet. It is a centuries-old tool that was used by colonists and imperialists in order to essentially take over different nations and different uh, resources across those nations to enslave certain peoples and to use them for their own uh, motives and, and profits. So the fact that racism exists across the world and has existed across the world for so long automatically should bring into question whether or not this is a phenomenon that exists in the Muslim ummah. Differentiating between Islam that has come down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and distinguishing that from Muslims, the practitioners or those who are meant to abide by the tenets and the doctrine of Islam. So one is the theory or the concept or the idea, which is Islam itself, and the other one is the people who actually practice those uh, concepts and, and theories. And it's in the latter that we find the issue of racism. I don't want to open up a conversation and a debate on Islamic jurisprudence that requires more historical and academic uh, analysis, which I'm not equipped to take on. And I could sit here and try to share what I've learned and what I've read and what I've heard. But the fact that I don't hold credentials to be able to say what I'm saying is truth means that I'm going to humble myself and keep my mouth shut on, on that matter. Nonetheless, as a citizen of America, as an Arab, as a Muslima, I just want to have a conversation with y'all about the fact that Arabs in particular, of all Muslims, I have found, 
and I continue to find, are so blatantly racist towards other Muslims and non-Muslims for that matter. And it is a disease that we have yet to acknowledge, and it is a social problem that continues to bring down our entire uh, community of Arabs across the world. So like I said, I recently read an article that a friend sent to me. It's from the Middle East Monitor, and it's titled, Why is the Arab Feminist Movement So Racist? The feminist movement in and of itself requires its own conversation and discussion, but I'm going to leave that to the side for now and just focus on the content of this particular article. And what it essentially was focused on is the behavior of one particular leader in the Arab feminist movement who did something very interesting. And I'm just going to go ahead and describe that to you. So Ola El-Faris is an award-winning journalist from Jordan. She's a women's rights activist and she's a self-proclaimed humanitarian. Recently, she was caught taunting domestic workers at a recruitment agency on Snapchat. What she did was she lined up six workers for a photo and laughed at them in front of her followers and then ruthlessly mocked the way that they dressed, saying that she has to work on their quote-unquote fashion sense. And she did so with thousands watching. There's even an image of the photos that she took and put on uh, Twitter. The women themselves who she photographed are visibly Asian and Southeast Asian. Uh, a respondent by the name of Farah Mismar says, as a brand that supports women's rights, is it acceptable for your brand ambassador, Ola Faris, to treat domestic workers as slaves? And I'm, I'm assuming here that Ola is a brand ambassador for L'Oreal because L'Oreal is uh, tagged in that post. So then the incident went viral and it wasn't until that point that she actually decided to apologize for her behavior and folks still condemned her. They felt that her apology was disingenuous and... Um, the article itself also includes a clip, and this is what really pushed me over the edge. I mean, it was bad enough that this self-proclaimed humanist and award-winning feminist out in uh, Jordan, in, in uh, the Middle East, did what she did. But then there is also a video clip of a Kuwaiti woman who is filming on her phone. She's filming a black domestic worker who looks like she's wearing hijab and she's speaking in Arabic. I don't know what her uh, nationality or ethnicity is, but she's visibly black and she has on what looks to be like a hijab. And the Kuwaiti woman is filming her as this domestic worker is hanging from the window on the seventh floor, hanging off of one hand, one arm, on the railing of a balcony. And the Kuwaiti woman who is recording refuses to help her. Ultimately, the woman falls from the seventh floor of the apartment block, and it seems like she survived the fall, but that's not even the point. I, I don't even need to say that. Thankfully, thousands of people reacted furiously and defended her, and the Kuwaiti woman was arrested, and uh, she's being tried for failing to help, quote-unquote, a suicidal maid. I don't even know if this was an attempted suicide. In the video, you can see it. She's clearly saying in Arabic, grab my hand, grab my hand. That doesn't sound like somebody who's trying to end their life. 
I don't know. Call me crazy. I think when we're talking about Arabs who live outside of the United States, Canada, the UK and other uh, developed nations, we're talking about regions that are predominantly Arab or heavily influenced by the concepts and ideologies of Arab supremacy. So we're talking about the Khalij. We're talking about the Levant, uh, North Africa. And so the reason I bring this up is because I think it's important to draw a parallel between the way that we understand race relations in the West as this white against non-white sort of tension, we can also think about what's happening in the Arab world in that way. It's Arab as the sort of dominant race and then everybody else. So let's go ahead and just leave that to the side for now. We're not going to talk about Arabs living out in the Middle East or in the Emirates. We're talking about Arabs living in the West. Are we immune to racist ideologies? Are we immune to the kinds of behaviors and thoughts that we see across the Arab world? I would argue that we are not immune to these things. And the simple fact being that racism is a global problem. The interesting and very complicated uh, component when talking about race as it pertains to Arabs is there are a lot of intersectional identities at play here. And I don't necessarily think that we can talk about it in a linear fashion. I think that they overlap quite a bit and I think that they complicate one another uh, from one circumstance to another. So, for instance, we are talking about Arabs as a whole. We're also talking about Arabs by nation. Then we're talking about Arabs by uh, religious sects. And then we're talking about proximity to whiteness, uh, actual skin color. And then there's also class, socioeconomic status, which we cannot ignore. And I think it's false to try to draw conclusions that we can then superimpose on every single context and every single social situation. By and large, what I oftentimes hear from Arab millennials here in the West is that their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents, their aunts and their uncles, folks who for the most part grew up in the Middle East and at some point emigrated to the West, that These are the members of their family who continue to voice racist uh, ideologies. And a lot of my Arab friends will apologetically say they just don't know any better or that they don't mean it that way or that they have good intentions, but they just didn't grow up in a diverse world. uh, And therefore, they don't have the language and the concepts and the experiences to actually understand other cultures and other races. Then on the flip side, we have Arab millennials themselves, who many either moved to the West when they were very young or they were born here and grew up here. And that's the camp that I want to focus on. So this is the camp that oftentimes takes the mic and wants to scream racism, that wants to point to racism, that wants to be social justice warriors. And this is the camp that I find to be the most problematic. And the reason is this. We are the folks who did grow up in a very diverse society. We're the ones who were educated here in the United States. So things like critical race theory, sociology, and the fact that we are always bombarded and completely inundated with issues of racial tension and in American history, 
would lead us to therefore have a better understanding and a firmer grip on the importance of equality across race and across nationalities and across ethnicities. And yet, this is the same camp that will harbor very deep-seated racist ideologies. And that points to the simple fact that in the United States, and I'm sure this is the case in other Western uh, developed nations, we may have all of the academic verbiage to explain critical race theory. That does not absolve us of the simple fact that racism continues to be a very deep-seated issue in our social fabric. So there's the part of me that wants to say to my fellow Arab millennials, Humble yourself enough to recognize the fact that as Western educated individuals, and I am making a generalization here, as Western educated individuals, we are just as much lacking as our non-Arab Western educated counterparts when it comes to race and racism. Racism continues to be a problem in the United States. We are members of the United States, and therefore we are just as much guilty as our non-Arab Western counterparts when it comes to the perpetuation of racism in this country. But is there any good news for Muslim millennials here in the United States? Well, recently I posted a an infographic. It came out of research that was conducted at the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding. And according to this infographic, there were six different faith groups that were polled. Muslims, Jews, Catholics, Protestants, non-affiliates, and the general public. And they were asked to what extent they support the Black Lives Matter movement. And so the options were they either support, they oppose, they are uh, neutral or neither. And then there are those who don't know or refuse. And according to the research, Muslims came out as the most likely faith group to support the BLM movement. Uh the numbers themselves, 66% of those polled uh, from the Muslim group said that they support the Black Lives Matter movement, 12% oppose it, 11 neither, and then 11% don't know or refuse. This infographic is pointing to a trend that we, we do need to pay attention to. I'm curious to know the age group of the folks that were polled, and unfortunately I don't have that information, but I'm inclined to believe that the majority of them do fall within the millennial category. And this is purely based on uh, my experience in the community and my understanding of the way that the generational gap plays itself out when it comes to race relations and our uh, opinions on the matter. And so what this infographic seems to suggest, whether you find this hopeful or harmful, is a different matter. But what it seems to suggest is that Muslim millennials are taking to social justice uh, movements, in particular the BLM movement in this case, and and are sort of hopping on the bandwagon of the American uh, social justice ethos. And I'm curious to know what you guys think. Do you think that this is helpful? Do you think that it's harmful? Do you think it's um, necessary and the right thing to do? Or do you find an issue with it? Do you think that there might be some underlying social issues there? I'm curious to know what you guys think. Leave comments in the uh, on the Between Arabs blog, or you can also leave comments on iTunes itself. But I would love to hear your opinions on the matter. Is the fact that Muslims uh, is the fact that more Muslims are supporting the BLM movement is that problematic, or is it not? Why? Why not? Okay, so 
A few moments back, I said I wanted to talk about the issue of proximity to whiteness. This is a subcategory in the conversation on race as it pertains to Arabs that I think is especially important. See, when we're talking about Arabs and racism, we're talking about a group that visibly is extremely diverse. You have Arabs who look extremely European and extremely white, blonde hair, blue eyes, like my mom, for example. And then you have Arabs who are extremely dark and everything else in between. And so this is where the issue of how visibly white you are comes in. I remember growing up and hearing my uh, grandparents and my aunts and uncles, you know, verbalizing very ridiculously racist things. And I didn't think anything of it growing up because it was just the status quo in, in my community. But things like ma'abyadha, uh, sha'ra, in, in other words, she's so white, she's a blondie. And that being situated in a conversation of praise for a particular uh, Arab woman, especially. And there was always this fear of going out under the sun and exposing your skin to sunlight, thereby tanning and becoming darker. And you know, this, I'm sure this mentality still exists in certain communities. If this resonates with you, I'd love to hear about it. But this is just one of the many examples of how visible whiteness is praised and upheld as some sort of supreme way of uh, physical appearance in, in the Arab community. As far as Muslims in the West are concerned, because again, this is the camp that I'm most uh, concerned with and interested in. I think it's really important for us to humble ourselves when we are pointing our fingers to Arabs who are either out in the Middle East or our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, and saying, oh, my God, they're so racist. They would never stand up for a black person. They would never stand up for the black community, blah, 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 blah. That all might be true. And that is an issue and it needs to be dealt with. But at the same time, Muslim millennials also have issues of racism that they need to deal with. And I think that's where the self-reflection uh, and working on ourselves really needs to come in. If we are the up-and-coming generation that is supposed to fight for justice and equality, have we not done the heavy lifting of looking within ourselves and thinking about how we harbor very similar racist tendencies and ideologies that make up the American fabric. And unfortunately, I think that this continues to be a problem in our community. So rather than wasting our time pointing to those uh, Arabs out there and the Arabs in our homes who are older than us, why don't we take a look at ourselves? If we're so uh, aware and so quote unquote woke, then why is it that we also have issues with people of color? Why is it that we also will feed into the racist machine that exists in America and in other Western developed nations? Look, I'm sitting here talking about this issue as though I am completely immune to this dilemma. And I want to just acknowledge, like everybody else, that I'm not that it's important for me to do the same kind of critical self-reflective work as it is for everybody in the Arab community and outside of the Arab community. We have got to start with ourselves. It's really important to take a look in the mirror, to ask ourselves the very difficult questions. What kinds of misconceptions, stereotypes do we share with the status quo that continues to perpetuate the uh, suppression and the exploitation of people of color? 
I would love to hear more from you about how you are grappling with these kinds of questions and how you're dealing with them and how you're holding yourself and others accountable to these very taboo conversations. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate your support. Please take a minute to rate on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Subscribe if you have not already done so. Visit the BetweenArabs.com blog where I talk taboo and others talk taboo on issues affecting Arabs and Muslims in America. Until next time, keep talking taboo. Salam alaikum and peace be unto you.